Today's episode is sponsored by Amy Berrickman, founder of Indigo Junction Sewing Patterns and Books. Visit amybarrickman.com to find vintage imagery, sewing, and craft books, and her new Vintage Notions monthly magazine. Issues one and two are now available for purchase individually and coming soon as a monthly subscription. Check it out at amybarrickman.com. Welcome to episode 70 of the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we're talking about online learning with my guest, Linda Perman. Linda Perman is the sewing and quilting acquisitions editor for Craftsy.com, an online education and retail destination for makers. She's also a crochet designer, instructor of three Craftsy classes, and the author of three books including Crochet Adorned and Little Crochet. She began her career in craft as an editor for Joanne Magazine and was the founding craft and decorating editor of Adorn Magazine. She enjoys working with designers and teachers to create great content that empowers people to make. In her spare time, she sews, crochets, knits, quilts, and embroiders. She's never met a craft she didn't like. Linda Perman, welcome. Thank you. It's wonderful to have you, and I'm excited to hear more about the inner workings of Craftsy. Um, so you are the acquisitions editor for the sewing and embroidery categories at Craftsy, and I wondered if you might just start by telling us what that job really entails. Sure. So as the acquisitions editor, um, I really decide what classes to make for the site, um, which entails simulating a lot of data to figure out what people want and also who's out there, who can teach it, who's available, um, and how can we make it the best class. So just figuring out for those categories and the quilting category too, um, what is the right mix of classes to make and who should be teaching them. Okay. And so when you say sewing, sewing entails quilt and like involves quilting and sort of garment sewing. So all aspects of sewing. It's not, there's not a separate person who does quilting. No, actually, I do quilting and sewing. So they are two separate categories on our site. Um, okay. There is a lot of overlap, and it's actually relatively new that I'm doing quilting as well. But we think of sewing as garment sewing, bag sewing, um, home decorating, sewing, that kind of stuff. And then um, quilting is traditionally quilts, but also, you know, it's the piecing, um, the machine quilting, all of that stuff. Okay. All right, cool. So you're, you're really in charge of all of those things. And I think um, you're a person that a lot of people want to know more about. So I'm so <laughs> excited that you're here to talk more about that. But first, I just want to back up a little bit and sort of bring us up to date as to how you got where you are. So where did you grow up? Sure. I grew up in San Antonio, Texas. Um, and then I, from there, went to school in Austin, moved to New York after I graduated, um, tent for a while, thought I was going to be an artist or maybe someone who managed artists. Um, and then, which I guess I kind of am in a way, um, and then found a Craigslist posting for a job at Soho Publishing and started editing there. Um, and it was my dream job. I remember calling my mom after the interview and saying, I didn't even know a job like this could exist and I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't get it. Um, <laughs> so from there... Were you um, were you an English major in college or did you major in art or some other field? I majored in studio art, actually. Which, okay. 
much to my parents' chagrin. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I go to a you know well-rounded college instead of a private art school, which you know I could understand that. So <laughs> worked out well for me. Okay, so you yeah. majored in art and then kind of tempt and then found this job at Soho Publishing. And um, what was the job at Soho Publishing? That was sort of your entry into craft publishing. It sounds like. Sure. Um, it was a craft and decorating editor for Joanne Magazine, which was a custom publication for Joanne Stores. Um, and Soho does Vogue Knitting. They do a lot of Knit Simple, a lot of other knitting magazines. Uh, but I was basically the person who did a lot of the in-house craft projects for that magazine and just um, scheduled all the uh, editorial for uh, working with all the freelancers who would provide um, articles and other craft projects and stuff like that. Okay, cool. So when was that? Was that in like the early 2000s? When was that? That was maybe 2005 or so. Okay. Um, yeah, because yeah, Joanne Magazine no longer exists. Yeah. Right. No, it was around for a little while and then um, they decided they didn't want to do a custom publication anymore and then we uh, kind of got this awesome opportunity of what do you guys want to do? What magazine do you want to make? And so we pitched uh, Christina Batch and I, who she was the editor, pitched Adorn Magazine, which was out for a short while. I think it was five or six issues. I have um, to say that when I found out um, that you were like the co-founder of Adorn, I was like, oh my gosh, she's my hero because, <laughs> I mean, those of us who were around in kind of the craft scene, the indie craft yeah. scene back in, yeah, 2005, 2000, you know, the early days back in the day. <laughs> Um, Adorn was like amazing. Like it was the small magazine. It was not like a full size, um, magazine. And it was like, it would feature indie crafters. Like I remember Lisa Congdon was in there and it was like this, it was awesome. Like it was the one magazine that you'd go to Joanne's and be like, yes, I'm buying this one. I'm so happy people know it because at the time it was just really before social media really took off. And so I remember writing an article for Joanne called computers and crafts or working for someone, right? And I was like, you know, I know all these other people who do craft stuff. Can we hire them? Because, <laughs> you know, if I wanted to do something a little more modern. And oh, I'm glad that you that you know it. And it's funny because I think I run into people who know that magazine, you know, and I, you just, we didn't really know how it was doing <laughs> before before social media. So it's it's fun to reconnect back that far. Yeah, I know. I wish I still had my copies. I, I didn't <laughs> keep them, but I wish I had kept them because um, it sort of reminds me of, do you remember Craft Magazine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, though, you know, that, that was, those are back in the day. Those were really, uh, yeah, yeah, those were good. Those were good, if short-lived publications. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so you, you ended up leaving New York Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sort of, was that before Adorn kind of came to an end? Yeah. So I was kind of ready to get out of New York and I, and I sort of got the sense that the magazine wouldn't be around for long. And I actually met my now husband, um, who was living in Montana at the time. And I thought, I actually asked my friend Susan Beal how she wrote, how she wrote books and if she thought I could do that. Um, and I decided I was going to move to Montana and write a craft book. <laughs> so I did. Nice. Um, yeah, so I moved out there because he was finishing school and then um, wrote some craft books. And you, I mean, you you love to crochet. I feel like, although oh. you, you're very crafty in lots of different areas, I feel like oh. crochet is kind of your your first love or your, your yeah. main thing. Um, what I'm personally known for, I guess. Yeah, yeah or what you're known for. <laughs> yeah. and, and you started this blog, Linda Made. Was that oh. it, like around the time you moved out of New York? 
Yep. It was, yeah, when I left, I thought, well, I should start a blog now. I don't know. It's so funny. I feel like the world has changed so much. This is like a trip down memory lane for me. Um, I thought I should start a blog. Um, I could be anywhere doing this stuff. Um, and yeah, I started it right before I left New York. Um, and actually, my agent told me, you need to focus on one thing because I, I told her I like sewing, I like crochet, I like lots of different things. Um, and I thought crochet would be a good one to focus on because there weren't a lot of people writing um, very stylish crochet patterns back then. So uh, I really wanted to pursue that at the time. That's okay, cool. So you started this blog, moved to a new home. Um, yeah. and, um, and so, and you're like, I'm going to move to Montana and write a craft book, but really, <laughs> well, really that doesn't just happen. So, so no. were there, um, you said, did you get an agent first or like, what were the steps and, and your books, by the way, we should mention are Crochet Adorned, which came out, was it Pottercraft, yeah, Pottercraft. in 2009 and then Little Crochet in 2011. So how yeah. did that, how did those kinds of those big giant projects actually come to be? Yeah, so um, I actually met with my friend Susan Beale's agent, Stacey Glick, um, and I, le- I met with her before I left New York, because I guess I just thought, like, okay, I'll just do all this while I'm still here in the city, and it's easy, and then, you know, I- because I worked with people who were all over, I thought I could be anywhere, um, so I-, I met with her, developed a concept, um, actually in my head it was, like, Crochet Love Sewing, that's the book I wanted to write, um, but uh, but I did... Um, and crochet adorned kind of is that it's it's all uh, embellishments that you can add, kind of in the spirit of what adorn was quicker projects. So it's um, like um, crochet embellish- embellishments you can add to your sewing project. So like edgings on pillowcases, for example, or something like that. Yep, stuff like that, and, or add to ready-made garments so you don't have to sew yourself. That kind of thing. And um, yeah, it's it's like flowers, edgings, all those things. Right. Um, yeah, so I met with Stacy before I left, and then I worked on a book proposal once I um, got to Montana. So, sort of did some um, working local, you know, worked at the dean's office, worked at the art store, that kind of thing, um, while I was writing the book. Right. Okay. Great. So you had those successes, um, and then um, and then kind of this this company, this online learning company, which um, sort of the parent company is Simpose. Um, right. Uh, before it even had the name Craftsy, it sounds like you started um, uh, getting filming a class with them. So how did you first, like, what was the first time you heard about Craftsy? Yeah, so I got an email from Emily Lawrence, who is our head of content education now, um, and I actually kind of ignored it. <laughs> um, she asked me to teach a class, and I was like, I don't know what this is. I was getting a lot of um, kind of podcast invites and stuff like that. And I wasn't sure if I would get paid or any of that stuff. Um, so I, I kind of sat on it for a while. Um, and it turns out that the person who edited my second book, Erin Sloniker, um, I met her at TNNA, which is the National Needle Art Show. Um, and I just happened to mention that email. And she said, oh, yes, I gave her your name. I guess they were old friends. They'd gone to college together or something like that. And that was enough that I was like, okay, let me get back to her. Um, so I got back to Emily, um, actually after talking to Stephanie Jackal, who, who I knew had filmed a class, um, and kind of figured out what was next with this. Because at that time, I didn't even really have a concept of what online education looked like or was. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody did. I mean, this yeah. is back in, what, 2011, like early 2011, I think. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, people. I remember when I first heard about Craftsy as well, which was through Beth's White, who was mm-hmm. filming one of the early classes, mm-hmm. 
And I was like, and I remember watching a little promo video and just being like, what is this? Like, this yeah. is, you know, it was really <laughs> different. Yeah. You know? And I, I didn't, I mean, when, even when I was filming the class, Craftsy didn't exist yet. Um, and they'd shown me the Simpos platform, but I, they would say, say this or say that. And I was trying to visualize like, what does that mean? <laughs> I'm not really sure. I can't quite tell how teaching this class is even going to go, you know? Um, it was really interesting. <laughs> okay. So, so they, um, they reach, Emily reached out to you and said, you know, you know how to crochet, you've got these books, um, you might be a good fit to teach a class for right. this new company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so did you then like fly out to Denver and, and get started? Yep. So we worked a, a little bit ahead of time figuring out what what to teach and all of that. But yes, then they flew me out to Denver and I taught two classes back to back, crafty crochet embellishments and then uh, uh, a learn to crochet baby cardigan class which is called Beyond Rectangles, the idea being that you're going beyond rectangles with your crochet. Um, Yes, and then I came out to Denver to film the class, and then, uh, you know, they edited it and turned it around and put it on the site, and that was that. And by then, by the time they came out, Craftsy was called Craftsy. Is that... I think mine actually came out... I know Simpose was still around. I, I can't remember if Craftsy was out just yet or... And maybe it was on both sides. Okay. It was, I remember talking to the designer about their new logo while I was filming. So it may it may have been around just when the class came out, wow. but it wasn't. Not everything had migrated over yet. Okay, and you have a newer class that came out yeah. in 2014, professional finishing for perfect crochet. And so, um, what? Tell me some of the differences that strike yeah. you. From filming those early classes mm-hmm. before Craftsy existed, basically, to filming, you know, fairly recently and kind of more of the modern setup. So what what changed? Let's see. I mean, actually, compared to even from then, from that class to now, we've done a lot differently. I mean, I think the biggest thing is there's a lot of work in pre-production. We do a lot of work with our instructors before they get here. Um to really develop the class so that we know what's going to be in it, uh, how long the lessons are going to be, what the samples look like. When I first came out, it was a little, I mean, it was a lot of trust. And I was like, I've never been on camera before. I sure hope I can do this. Um, now we do a lot more work with our instructors ahead of time. So, and, and the, you know, the other huge difference, of course, is knowing what to expect. The first time I came out, I was completely nervous and didn't really know um, how it was going to go. And then you, you have a much better sense once you've done it once or twice. Um, just how to prepare for that. Um, but I, I'd say the, the big thing we do that's different is we do a, a ton of prep work before the instructor gets here so that when they get here to film, all they have to worry about is performing and not like, oh, did I prepare that sample? Or, oh, I really should have had you know, a swatch here to demonstrate on. We try to figure all that out ahead of time. Okay. Um, so how many classes does craftsy make like in a year i don't know if you break it down by quarters or like mm. by year. like how, i don't know how you break it down but like on average how many are you making in a set time period huh so we we do kind of break it down by quarter and it fluctuates as a business as we try to figure out what the right mix is um let's see right now we have i would say we're making something between 70 and 80 classes a quarter um it might be a little lower right now but um 
you know, as an acquisitions editor, I usually have somewhere like 15 classes that I make a quarter. So, um, and that's, that's a, a lot. lot. I mean, I think that's a lot because <laughs> it's a ton. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you think yeah. about, like, I guess I'm sort of a little bit more familiar with like the book publishing world mm-hmm. and kind of you know how many books um, a particular imprint produces in like a, right. a season, and it's a lot fewer than that. Yes. Yeah. It. Yes, I agree. <laughs> and so, I mean, a, a book and an online class aren't the same, mm-hmm. but there are some similarities as far as preparation and all of that. And so, um, so that's a lot. I think yes. you know, producing yeah. fifteen a quarter, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot, and we have a big team. I mean, I think part of it is that we have a much bigger team that can handle that capacity. Um, you know, and I think as a growing business, you want to set yourself up to have an extensive catalog that you know, um, really gets our foot, holds our stake in the ground. Right. And so you said you have a a pretty big team now. Do you know like approximately how many people work at Craftsy right now? Uh, Let's see. I think it's over 200. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's important for people to, to know sort of, and what is it like there? Like just if you, you know, I know you're kind of right now in like a little conference room um, mm-hmm. so that we can have some privacy and you, and you essentially have an open office otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what is it like? Like what's the vibe like when you, you come in in the morning and, and kind of just, just describe it. Like what is it like at Craftsy? Um, you know, it's really nice. It's an open office. So nobody has cubicle walls or offices or anything like that. Um, it's a really bright colored, um, it's modern, which I feel like it's very nice. Um, and it's a large floor plan. I think, uh, the vibe is good. It's creative energy, but it's also a mix. I mean, there's so many people that do so many different things. There's engineers, there's our e-commerce department. Um, so if you walk through that part of the office, you might see lots of samples and fabric and I just want to go over there and pet what's on their desk and then in engineering they have a a different vibe Um, and then we've got editors who like to work in the dark because they're looking at their screens all day Um, it feels like a bunch of little subcultures in this bigger office but but ultimately I would say it's uh, a fresh kind of creative vibe and I I, one of my favorite parts about working at Craftsy really is the people are all just very sharp and very committed to what they do um, and to figuring things out and learning as they go and all of that. Okay. So I want to talk about sort of how, like, you get to choose, right? Like, you're the person who chooses. And I think, <laughs> you know, and I think that that's, um, that's kind of an awesome role. And I want to talk uh-huh. a lot about how you choose. Um, uh-huh. So does sort of, I, it, it's kind of a chicken and egg question for me. Uh-huh. Like, do you sit and say, well, you know, this particular, you know, English paper piecing is doing really nicely. Let's yeah. find a designer who can teach two more classes. Or is it the other way around? We're like, oh, this hot designer, what could she do? Like how is there an editorial meeting that it's by topic, by person? Or yeah. how does this, or is it just by pitches? Like are you looking at sales numbers and just sort of purely choosing by what sells? I mean, how does this all work? It's all of this. Things. Okay. <laughs> it's all of those things together. I mean, it's we survey our, our customers to figure out what they're most interested in learning. Of course, you have to know the questions to ask to really be able to get data there. But of that, um, we figure out who, who is incredibly popular, has our own reach. Um, there's a lot of people online that have such a good following that we know their class is going to sell because people really want to have that product from them. Um, I also think about what 
what techniques people want to learn, what we don't have in the catalog, what we've done that's sold well and how we can do it differently or add to that. Um, and then, you know, we also try to just take some risks every quarter and figure out, hey, what are we missing? What have we not thought about? What's something maybe we didn't do in the past but want to try now? So it's it's all of those things together. And we, um, I get some specific allocations for what kinds of classes to make every quarter and then kind of brainstorm those with my manager um, and, of course, have to write uh, a detailed pitch for every class that I do that gets approved. Um, so it, was, it is as much about the instructor as the topic, um, and then it just depends on who we're trying to appeal to, if we want to try to get new buyers or if we're trying to appeal to our existing buyers or both, um, If you know, in terms of whether we have to find an instructor who has a lot of their own reach or if we find an instructor who is um, maybe doesn't have as much of an online presence but is a super solid instructor and we know people respect them and they'll be the best person to teach it and it appeals to the audience we have. So just different considerations based on you know, what we're going for. I want to take a minute now to talk with our sponsor, Amy Barrickman of Indigo Junction. My name's Amy Barrickman. Uh, my business is Indigo Junction, and we sell clothing patterns as well as uh, sewing patterns for functional and decorative items. I hear that you have like a magazine as well. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? I would love to. Uh, Vintage Notions Monthly is the continuation of my journey, reintroducing the content from a women's institute that was uh, established in the 1920s. Its founder was Mary Brooks Picken, and she actually wrote the Singer Sewing Book. Uh, I fell in love with her style, her writing, her philosophy of life. The 100th anniversary of the Institute is this year in 2016. Uh, and so to celebrate that, I wanted to begin reintroducing more of their content. Vintage Notions Monthly is um, not only editorial content, inspirational essays, it also has uh, sewing lessons and techniques, um, inspiring stories and testimonials from students, it explores beyond sewing and fashion into the home arts, cooking, um, millinery, some really interesting information. Um, and it all each month we're also putting a magic pattern in each issue. And the magic patterns are a design that is created through calculating your measurements and then drafting a pattern based on your measurements according to the diagram that's in the issue. Um, so really excited about the opportunity to continue to share this information and this great, timeless, just more relevant than ever material that's part of the, the school's curriculum and their both newsletters and their magazines that they published um, back in the 20s through the mid-30s. It's so cool. It's like um, you're like the historian who's bringing back, um, you know, bringing to the modern market this incredible, um, you know, history of sewing so that we can enjoy it again. Find Vintage Notions Monthly at amybarrickman.com. And now back to my chat with Linda. Okay. So when you said you have to write a detailed pitch, um, for each of the classes, and that strikes me as something similar, somewhat similar to print publishing for books, because I know that, you know, the acquisitions editor, um, has to write a pitch and then they have a meeting and she or he presents the book idea and um, and it kind of goes through the the kind of the, the room and people have to decide whether 
you know, the sales numbers are going to, are going to work for that and what the, um, you know, how many copies to print and all of those things. So, so, um, so when you do kind of have a class in mind, um, kind of take us through what happens next. So I guess, uh, so I have a class in mind and I usually have a person in mind. Um, I start by making introductions and setting up a phone call with them and figuring out. I really like to talk to people about what they like to teach, where they think their students are at, um, you know, what they're well known for, um, and figure out how we can make something that's sort of better than either of us could do by ourselves. Um, And then from there, I request an initial outline from them. I talk to them about, you know, we have right now our classes are six lessons long and each one's about 20 minutes. And can you put together a rough outline of what you would want to teach in there? Um, And then I, uh, you know, they they start working on that. I start working on the pitch. I think we're very data-driven, so I have to um, have a lot of data surrounding why we should make this class and why I think it will be a success. I guess we luckily don't have to figure out how many to print. That's the nice thing about online video is we can just keep selling enrollments and it doesn't, that would be a whole other thing. I'm glad I don't have to deal with. (laughs) Um, and then, uh, I usually talk through the outline with the instructor a couple of times to figure out a to get a sense of whether they really know the stuff and whether they can really teach it, but also um, to figure out if it makes sense in the order that they've um, pitched it, and just so that I have a good understanding of what they're teaching, so that if I get asked questions, I can explain them. Um, and then once I have a pretty solid preliminary outline and all of my data points and my pictures that support what it's going to look like and all of that stuff, um, I write that up and I pitch it to our green lighting committee. Um, and then from there, if they accept it, uh, then become then begins the content editing process with the instructor, uh, which lasts about eight weeks uh, before they get here. We work with them for about eight to ten weeks before wow. they get. Here. Yeah, that is intense pre-production. Yeah, <laughs> it is, and it's you know it's definitely different. A lot of people have camera experience, but either they uh, show up and wing it, or um, or they or they have to detail every last word. And we're, we sort of live in between those two things. We don't like to script things word for word because people just get stuck on reading and then they're not natural. Um, but we also do want to really try to preconceive as much as we can so that we can get things turned around quickly and get them live on the site. Right. Okay. And so it is possible that um, an inst- a potential instructor would come up with that outline, you would do the pitch, and then it would get rejected. It is possible, but usually I try to get some soft buy-in. If I'm going to go through writing up the pitch, um, I I usually have some buy-in before I go. But yes, it's possible they would get rejected. Right. Okay. And um, I do think it's important to underline that Craftsy is really data-driven, and so mm-hmm. as you mentioned, and so you are looking at those sales numbers um, mm-hmm. and using those to determine the new content. Yes, definitely. And it's something where, you know, sometimes I have the an awesome instructor or a great concept, but I just know that I can't back it up enough to get it accepted. And so, you know, it's, it's a business and I have to figure out what makes sense for us as a business. Um, so sometimes that's hard, especially if it's something that's new or a risk because I don't, I maybe don't have any data to back up a hunch. So figuring out how to, how to, um, how to write that up is always a fun challenge. Right. Okay. All right. So for people who are listening, 
who aspire to teach a mm-hmm. class on Craftsy feel like the you know special content or technique that mm-hmm. they have or they know about or expert in or have developed uh, would be a good fit and you know wouldn't match your audience's uh, needs and wants. Mm-hmm. What what can they do? to position themselves for success, to position themselves for, you know, to be in a spot where you would say, yes, like what are some steps they could take over the next like six months or so to sort of get there? Honestly, the biggest thing that they can do is build their own online following. That is huge for us. If we know that you are going to be able to market your class to your market as well as us marketing it to our 8 million users, that's that's huge. Um, We really want our instructors to to take some part in that because we think that we have huge marketing reach, of course, but we're always looking for new buyers too. So if we know people who are really in touch with the people who want exactly what they're, they're offering, um, that is a big deal. So building up an email newsletter, uh, a good subscriber base there, um, Facebook page, Instagram, all that stuff. Um, that's huge. Um, I think being familiar with the catalog and understanding how your class is different. A lot of times I get pitches for stuff that we already have or is is close enough on the surface to what we already have that a, a user wouldn't necessarily know the difference. So figuring out what makes your class different. Um, and, and really just understanding, helping me understand why you think the class would sell. I think filling up the classroom twice a year with 10 people is not really enough for to convince me. Um, we, we need our classes to sell thousands of copies. So figuring out, you know, what, what sets your class apart and how just showing me why people are interested in, in it um, with data. So this blog post gets this many more views than my other blog posts, or I have X number of subscribers with my, they're all interested in this technique and I can show you that because I sell this PDF that sells five times as much as my other PDFs that I sell. Just really thinking about it from a business standpoint, um, why you would want to teach the thing you're teaching and why it makes sense for you to be the teacher that's teaching it. Um, that's really the, the story I try to tell when I pitch a class. Okay. And there is a uh, form on the mm-hmm. Craftsy website that yes. somebody who does want to teach a class, so who maybe has spent that time mm-hmm. developing their online following, developing um, or looking at their data to see like, mm-hmm. which technique is really going to, you know, sell thousands of copies of a class and is ready to, to write that pitch and send it to mm-hmm. you. There is a form that they can go ahead and fill out and that does go to, to you in some way. Yes. Yep. And it's craftsy.com slash course proposal, I think is the form. We're actually working on revamping it, but it may take a while. So yes, the acquisitions editors do see, um, every acquisition editor sees that come through. Okay. And I will link to that in the show notes so people can go and click on that. And even if you're not ready, just to see what the course proposal form looks like, yeah. Um, and know, okay, well, this is what they're asking for. Take some notes and then go back and, and start to prepare those things and get ready for that. Um, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that, that that's important. And so um, 
once somebody does uh, get approved, go through this process, mm-hmm. get approved, um, is that class like exclusive to Craftsy? In other words, are they able to go and teach that class at a local quilt shop after that? Or are they able to go and teach that class on another online platform or on their own, you know, if they wanted to produce their own class? Like what are the mm-hmm. limitations of the class content? So we ask that they make the online version of that class exclusive to us it does it does not mean that they can't teach it locally or at shows we want people to still teach at shows and in their local shop because that's where people find them and i I liken it to um your craftsy classes your cd and your local teaching is your concert um it's funny oh that's an interesting right i like that (laughs) hold on i like that um analogy so your yeah. craftsy class is your CD and your local in-person or your in-person teaching is your concert. And your I think, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I think yeah. that that's really interesting because one of the things that I hear, I talk a lot to local quilt shop owners because I write a lot of articles for different trade journals and things like that. And so one of the things I hear often from some local quilt shop owners is, Craftsy's undercutting us. Like they're yeah. taking our best instructors, putting them online. People can just get the class for $19 or whatever when it's on mm-hmm. sale. And then they never need to come and pay to come to their local quilt shop and, and get that instructor, you know, in person. But, and I, I actually think the opposite. If I hear or watch a, and I've watched many Craftsy classes, if I watch a Craftsy class and then I see, oh my goodness, you know, Malka Dubrowski is coming to my local shop. I'm really more excited to see her because I'm like, I watched your craftsy class. Right. And, and I know so, you. Yeah, yeah, I feel like, like I know, know you. And even if yeah. she's teaching the same thing, just to see it in person and to be able to ask questions and have her look at my project, um, I right. think it's really cool. And so um, because I, you know, it's kind of like if you buy a, a musician's CD and then yeah. they come to your local stadium, are you going to be like, well, I already have the CD, so I don't need to go. <laughs> no, yeah. the opposite. And I guess we should say MP3 because it's, okay, you know. but you know what I mean. Like I have right just because I have it on my phone and I can listen to it while I'm out running. Then yeah. when they come, I'm not like whatever. I've already got the CD. I've already got the music. I don't need to go. No, it's the opposite. No, yeah. I mean, I feel like the in-person class experience is completely different than the video class experience, and the video class makes it possible for people to reach so many more people than they ever could if they were just hopping from store to store. There's just no way that we can, you know, that you could teach the number of people you could teach in a video, but but you get something completely different out of an in-person class experience. And I think people are looking for different things from those. I also think even if it's your, your local teacher who might, let's be honest, be just as good as someone who teaches at shows or better, um, you know, maybe people are coming that Saturday because they want something to do on Saturday. Whereas if they watch the online class, they're just like, oh, I want to remember how to use my zipper foot when it's time to install a zipper, not only when I'm making this pillow on that Saturday. You know, I just think they complement each other so well. Um, But I I do hear that feedback and I actually got that feedback. I used to teach in a local yarn shop uh, before I worked at Craftsy and I kind of got that feedback from my boss too until some Someone came in to buy supplies and they had printed out their materials list. And then she kind of could see how it works together too. Okay. Um, you know. So, and that kind of brings me to this supplies question. So, Craftsy, as we said in the introduction, is also a retail destination at this mm-hmm. point. So, it's not just an online course platform, online learning platform, but it's also a place to go and buy your Mm -hmm. yarn and your embroidery materials and your um, fabric and all the things that you would need for your projects, whether it's a kit or it's just sort of the retail end. 
right. um, of of Craftsy. So, um, do you want? I know that you're. That's not really the area that you work in particular, mm-hmm. Crafty. But do you want to talk about how they support one another, or sort of what the decision was, if you know about um, uh, sort of adding, you know, the retail sure. side. Yeah, I mean, I think the retail is actually still relatively new for us. A lot of people don't realize that we sell e-commerce goods on our site. Um, I think we want to be a destination for people to make and where you can find both the inspiration and education that you need and the supplies that you need. Um, A lot of times people, I see it in my class all the time, what yarn are you using? I want that exact yarn. I don't want to make a substitute. Um, So being able to to supply them with all of the things they need is one of our goals as a company. Um, and I think it's also just, you know, it's for us, it's a way to reach people. Some people don't see the value in spending money on education, um, but they know what supplies are, right? So they know they like fabric, they like yarn. They can, they feel fine paying for that. Um, it's just another way also to get people in the door to see um, what else we offer. But really it's also about, um, you know, I've lived in Bozeman, Montana, and actually Bozeman, Montana had two great yarn shops, but there are places where you can't, you, you don't have access to good supplies. Um, and so being a resource for people in that way too, um, is, is another facet of that. Mm-hmm. And you, you have some, um, kind of bringing you back around to the beginning of your career. There is some okay. partnership with Joanne's stores. Yes, yes. So we, um, they send out some of our classes to their user list. Um, obviously, they've got a lot of people who are interested in the same kinds of learnings as our customer. Okay, right. Okay, so there is some partnership there, um, mm-hmm. rather than partnering with like a local yarn shop or a local quilt shop. Yes, yeah, so in the past, we've explored that too. Um, we have a whole team that works on that as well. I think it's, you know, I understand exactly where business owners are coming for and I think where they're coming from. And I think there's some trepidation around that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think there is too, and, and it's not necessarily settled yet exactly mm-hmm. how, how that all works, but, right. um, but I thought I would bring it up. So tell me, um, tell me what classes are selling amazing right now. Like what, what's doing really, like what's hot? Hmm. So one that I'm super proud of is actually our class with Linda Lee called Solo Fitting from Measurements to Muslin. And it's a class, it's a fitting class. Fitting is always popular. Um, But it's really about if you don't have a fitting partner, how do you measure yourself? So um, that one has been doing really well. Um, I love that one because Linda is one of my favorite instructors and we've actually worked on several classes with her. And this one is, I think, her eighth class and it's really just killing it. Um, Let's see. And we've tried some other, actually lingerie is doing really well. You might, you might see this elsewhere in the sewing world. Um, but we have a couple of bra classes with Beverly Johnson, the fairy bra mother. Those have done really well. Um, we just put out a corsets class that I'm excited about with Allison Smith. Um, it's kind of funny. The lingerie really surprised people, but it's also that kind of thing that you, it's hard to, um, sign up for a local bra making class. I, I've never, I guess I haven't looked for one, but I haven't seen one offered. Um, and that has been, all of those kind of niche topics have been, have been doing really well for us. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Okay. So it sounds like kind of the semi-professional garment finishing mm-hmm. and construction are, are really what a lot of people want. In our sewing, yes. And bags actually, bags are huge. People love the bags classes too. So, um, both of those do really well. Mm-hmm. And I think they're kind of different audiences. They're all just, you know, 
lumped into our sewing category. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's always interesting to hear like what's selling, what's selling well. And in quilting, does anything stand out to you in quilting that's kind of taking off right now? Machine quilting is always big. <laughs> um, quilting the quilt, you know, every pattern just says quilt is desired and what do you do with that? Um, those classes always tend to do well. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, um, you know, I just took over the quilting category not that long ago, so okay. I don't have a huge grasp on it yet. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, so, um, so that's, I think that's still helpful for people. And, um, we, we skipped one little step, which was how you went from being a craftsy instructor <laughs> to working at craftsy. Um, so do you want to just take us back to sure. what happened in the in-between? Yeah. So, um, I came and filmed my class and then, you know, I got along with everybody. I loved it. It was actually just a wonderful experience. And I remember, my life has kind of gone this way. I remember standing on the corner waiting for the makeup artist to pick me up and thinking, I could live in Denver. I could, I could move here. Um, and I think there were 12 people working at Craftsy at that time, and I don't even think they were all full-time. But I filmed my class, um, and then I, I kind of said, you know, I could do freelance. I could write uh, trailers. I could do whatever. You know, let me know. I'm happy to help in, in some way if I can. And I did a little bit of freelance stuff um, here and there. And then at some point when they were looking to expand, Emily reached out to me and asked if I would be interested in moving to Denver. Um, and at the time I had just moved back to Texas and I had some family reasons for having moved back. And I, I said, Oh, thank you. That's nice. But no, thanks. You know, I just moved and I'm going to stay here. Um, and then she reached out to me again at the same time as another company reached out to me. And I, I remember calling my now husband and saying, I don't have to apply for these jobs, right? I'm doing fine as a freelancer. And he was like, you don't have to, but you wouldn't have called me if you weren't interested. And I was like, oh, you're right. <laughs> um, so I, I said, okay, this is the world telling me to go back to working for someone else. Um, I, you know, applied for the job and came out. Actually, there was, I don't think there was actually a job. I actually came out and interviewed with like five different people. The company was so small that they were just like, let's have you meet with a bunch of different people and see what you would be good at and figure out um, where you would fit here. Um, I had a weekend of back-to-back interviews in North Carolina and Denver and um, decided that I really wanted to work at Craftsy. Um, And so decided I was ready to move and came out here. That was about four years in May. So um, I guess I was organized when I came to film my class. So they thought I could help organize other people too. (laughs) Right. And I also think it's an important point to pull out here that you also said to them, you know, I could write trailers, I could do some freelance work, whatever you guys need. Um, In other words, you didn't just wait to be chosen. Like you put out there, you know, I love doing this and I love being here and I have some skills and I'd love to help you. So if there is a way for me to help, please keep me in mind. Yes, definitely. Yep. And I think that's so important. I think there's, and I think as professionals, it's, it's so hard. I mean, my husband is an artist. It's hard to promote yourself and to toot your own horn. Um, I think you can do it without being obnoxious and, if you do it in a non-obnoxious way, people will come back to you, <laughs> um, and letting people know what your skills are because they don't necessarily have time to look up all those things. They're just going through their day. So, yes, definitely. I was, you know, as a crochet designer, I was supplementing my income with writing, and so I just thought, oh, hey, maybe this is another avenue for me to to do that. Right. And was it hard? This is I, I always have this feeling like 
when you give up building your own thing, right? Yeah. Like you had the blog, you were writing yeah. the books, you were designing patterns, which I'm sure you were selling on Ravelry, yeah. I'm guessing, um, and uh, and all of that, and and writing for other publications as a freelancer. Um, you had these craftsy classes that's bringing in some income, yeah. you know. And so you're like building, building, building to be yeah. Linda, and then you take a job, <laughs> and it's yeah. not that you're no longer Linda. Clearly, you're still right. Linda, but you're now like part of Craftsy's empire, like you're building for Craftsy and it builds you as well. Obviously it's still your resume and, and, you know, your work experience, but you're building somebody else's business. And so was that at all hard? I think, I feel like that would just be so hard for me to, you know, like I'm sometimes I get these ideas and I'm like, Oh gosh, could I do that? You know, I think it's, it was not that hard because what I, I, I was at that point in my career, actually it was just perfect timing when Emily approached me about filming, where I said, I'm either going to have to travel all the time to make ends meet, like I'm going to have to teach in a bunch of different places to try to make ends meet, and I, I saw what that looked like, I, I know other instructors who do that, or I could do something, I mean, so then I taught my class and I thought, gosh, this is a way that I wouldn't have to do that, and then I, I just knew I didn't want to be gone every weekend. Um, and so for me, the opportunity to help other women, mostly women, we, we totally hire men too, but I, I love that we do this with a lot of women, um, have that was so awesome to me. I, I love that. Um, so I, I, it wasn't that hard. I mean, I was sort of terrified about going back to work in an office, but this is the sort of office I would want to work in, a creative office. And, and also I had interviewed at two different places. The other place was great too, but much more corporate. And it's like, I didn't really want to go back to that. Um, but Craftsy was so small at the time that it didn't feel, you know, it didn't feel too much like, um, not being me. I felt like I could really be myself at work. And that was what was the most important to me. Right. And so since then you've had a baby, congratulations. You have a baby girl named Juniper. And so how is that like leaving and coming back? Um, is that hard? (laughs) That's a little harder, Mm -hmm, (laughs) Um, but you know, it's funny when I started writing books, I thought, I mean, wanting to have family is it's something I've always wanted. And when I started writing books, I thought, well, I'll test this out. I was helping my sister with her son and I thought I can write a book and, and, and help with tea. And then I, I kind of realized, no, I really can't. This, this is a complete full-time job, um, with my nephew. Um, and so somewhere in the back of my mind, I knew if I wanted to have kids that I'd probably have to go back to work. Um, and that was sort of part of the reasoning too. And coming to Denver and working for Craftsy is knowing that I wanted to have like health insurance and things like that. Right. Um, And I think that's an important point too. Like if your life is a, is, you know, freelancing and, um, you know, and selling your crochet designs on Ravelry and that sort of thing, you can totally do that and be successful. But when it comes to health insurance, like you're on your own, you know, And when you work for another company, like you've got, you've got something there that um, might provide some stability if you do want to have a family. Right. Definitely. And I mean, we've come, we've come a long way as a country. Hooray. But yeah, so I think unless you've got a partner who can provide those things for you, it's really, really hard to make it. And I knew that that was, I mean, that's sort of the same story when I decided I wanted to major in art. My mom was like, you're insane. You know, I, it's been important to me my whole life to to still have stability in, in addition to having creative freedom. I'm sort of half and half logic and creativity. I feel like that's me. Um, so, so yes. Yeah, so coming back to work has been tough, but my husband stays home with our baby. So, um, it, 
and it makes it a little bit easier knowing that he's home. And Crafty is great if I need to leave early or work from home one day or anything like that. So that's made it a lot, uh, a lot nicer. And then I just, you know, keep her up late so that I can see her when I'm home. <laughs> <laughs> I think lots of working moms. Do yeah, that. that's pretty common. Yeah, yeah. Among, among my friends who who, uh, who work outside the home, that's pretty common. Yeah. So, um, okay, great. That's great to hear. And and, um, and I uh, I just wanted to see before we get to your recommendations, if you have anything else that you really feel people should know about Craftsy or or know about teaching at Craftsy or just kind of any other tips or words of wisdom or, or just things people should take away from from hearing from you about sure. about Craftsy? Sure. I mean, I think, I guess, and this is sort of a bigger picture thing, but, um, you know, even though we make so many classes, I really am only working on 10 to 15 classes a quarter, so it's not that many. So if you pitch and you get rejected, don't think that that's it. Um, you can pitch again. There's other places you can pitch. It's, it's really such a small number of classes to be dealing with. Um, in a related note, I have a friend who's an author who just... Uh, won an award for one of her short stories after it had been rejected at twenty, like by twenty different journals of publishers. So keep trying. Um, I, I, it's the hardest part for me is having to say no to so many people. Um, and you know, we do read proposals. We do have a heart. We just can't always make the class. So I, I just hope people know that I'm not personally rejecting them. Yeah, and I, I read that in um, Little Rogers, the the. Um, art agent, illustration agent has a great book about making art that sells. And, um, and she has a a section in there about submitting and resubmitting. And um, I remember reading it and it said, you know, if you've been rejected, it just might be that they already have enough classes or enough, um, you know, pieces of art in the portfolio or whatever for, um, on that particular topic or in that particular style for that season. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so it may not be that yours is just a no, it just might be like, it's not right now. Right. Um, and so, and, and when I read that, I was like, oh, cause I had just recently been rejected from something, um, and thought, oh, well, that's it. My relationship with them is over, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, and then the next day I resubmitted to that Mm -hmm. same place and got accepted. Yeah. Um, And so (laughs) I was I like, pitched, oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> I pitched projects to interweave crochet for a year, I think, before they accepted them. So, you know, <laughs> you can't. And you know what? Honestly, I needed to rework some of them. I was just sending them stuff thinking like, oh, they'll just accept me. No, I needed to work on it a little bit harder um, and really think about it. And, you know, um, I just think it's good to remember. It's so hard to keep trying, but rejection, like you should be getting rejected if you're trying hard enough. Like not everyone's going to be interested in what you have and you have to find the right fit. So, and, um, and my, my 12 year old daughter just submitted two poems to a publication. She loves to write poetry. And, and what we talked about yesterday when she was filling out the application was if you never submit it, it's never going to be published. Right. Yeah, so, you've already been rejected. That's right. <laughs> you just took yourself <laughs> out of the pool. Exactly. Yeah. And so um, so that was – it was fun to do that with her, and I, I do think it's a good lesson just in general. So, so good for her to learn that already. So. Yeah, yeah. She's um, submitting them to Stone Soup, which if anyone's curious, <laughs> is just like a magazine that publishes children's writing and, and illustrations. So she, and they pay $25 if the poem gets accepted. So, that's awesome. I know. <laughs> Let, fingers crossed, Stone Soup. Yeah editors pick my kids so anyway her poems are really good so I hope they get they get chosen so all right I I want to go through some of your recommendations so um you have a phone case that you love and it's um the loopy phone case so tell me why you like this one 
I love it. It's a phone that has a little loop on the back that you can wind your finger through so that you can hold it. Um, it's great for taking selfies. It's great if you're carrying a baby upstairs and you, you don't have an extra hand. And in our office, I run from meeting room to meeting room. So actually just it's sort of like carrying your phone without carrying your phone and you're not worried you're going to drop it. So I, Facebook advertising totally got me and I love this thing. So nice. Yeah. yeah. And, and does it help like if you don't have a pocket? Cause I often find myself with like no pockets, like yes. I'm wearing leggings and then I'm yes. so frustrated. I think what happened is when I became a mom, I became a legging wearer and there's no pockets. Exactly. <laughs> you can loop it. I mean, you can loop it and have the phone facing you. Like if you want to take a selfie, but you can also just loop it and have it behind your hand so that if you've got a bunch of stuff that you're carrying, then you, you know, you're carrying it as well. And it's kind of grippy. It's like one of those, do you remember those popular like Livestrong bracelets? Oh, yeah. It's kind of that, the loop. So it's really oh, grippy. Right. And, um, it's kind of awesome. So <laughs> my, my phone lives in an OtterBox, which is this like massive phone case that's made of like steel and rubber and is like, the, it, makes, yeah. it makes the super slim, like beautiful design of an iPhone into this like horrendous, um, like, yeah, it's like a tank, but, yeah. um, but that's just because I have three kids. And so yeah. I had enough broken iPhones that I was like, I don't care. So it, bar- it basically doesn't fit in my pocket anymore because <laughs> it's oh. so huge, but, um, you know what? It hasn't broken. So yeah, that's good. <laughs> <So> okay. <laughs> I recommend my OtterBox. Um, okay. And then you also wanted to recommend just this idea of a daily practice and especially in motherhood. Yes. Um, I, one of my favorite things about my job is actually working with the instructors. And one of the things um, I was talking to one of my instructors the other day about sewing and making some stuff for my daughter. And she was like, you know, Linda, if you don't sew all the time, you're never going to be really good at it. It's fine. Like you can make your stuff, but like the only way to really get good at it, which I know, but it's always good to hear is to, to do it a lot. Um, and actually very early on, um, we used to do these Q&A style trailers with instructors. And I remember asking Linda Lee about how she got all this sewing done with a child. Um, and she said, you're going to look over your threshold at your sewing machine and go, oh, I don't have time for that today. And sometimes all you have time for is to wind the bobbin, but go wind the bobbin. And it's true. It's like just do a little bit every day so that you stay in the habit. Um, so I've really been trying to think about that. I'm working on sewing a binding on a quilt right now, actually. And so some days all I do is thread five needles with thread so that the next day maybe I can sew a couple of needles worth of thread. Um, but taking that time for yourself, I think, is so important. Whether it's just the time for yourself or trying to hone your craft, um, I think as moms especially, it's just so important to keep doing those things. Yeah, and you feel better. Yeah, exactly. And that fight actually just getting started, then you're like, oh, I've stayed up an hour too late. But <laughs> it's it's just like exercise, you know, you've just got to put your shoes on and lace them up sometimes. Um, taking the time uh, to practice, um, you know, by the time I get to the end of my quilt binding, my stitches will be so much nicer than when I started out. And if I did it every day, then, then it always look much better. So mm-hmm. That's great advice. Yeah. Thank you for that. Sure. Um, and you, the third recommendation is the Craftsy app. Yes. So I just love our app and I don't know that everyone knows about it. Um, I've actually been watching our classes on my phone as I sew on the quilt binding. It's just a really fun way to take Craftsy with you. Um, and you can actually download lessons. Like if you're going on a plane, you can download 
a few lessons to watch on the plane, even if you're away from Wi-Fi, um, which to me is just awesome, and, and not have to be at your computer. I mean, I don't think anyone's at their computer anymore, but you can take it on your phone. You can have it next to your sewing machine so that you can um, really just watch the technique you need right before you do it, which I love. So on the Craftsy app, all the classes that you've bought in your library are available. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yes. And, and then also the free classes? Yes. I mean, I think you have to enroll in them, but you would be able to find them and enroll in them in the app. Yes. Okay. And can yep. you buy new classes within the app as well? You can, but we prefer you to do it on the website. <laughs> but you totally can do it on the app as well. Okay. All right. Cool. And you can, um, and as you said, you can download them so that if you're away from Wi-Fi, you can still um, tune in. So that, that's kind of, yeah, nifty. I think a lot of people don't know that you can't download. I, I mean, the memory on your device right. would be too much, but you can kind of select a few lessons, download them ahead of time. And then when you're watching those, take those off, add some, add some more. Mm -hmm. And I think down, down the road, you know, that's, that's going to improve and we'll be able to yeah. <laughs> just the, the technology isn't caught up yet, but right. it'll, I think we'll get there. Cause I, I think that's what people want. So yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. All right, good. Good recommendation. So, um, Linda, if somebody wanted to send you a message or just reach out to you, is there a way that they should contact you? What is the best way for them to get in touch? Sure. Um, there's a form on my website, but you can just email me too. Uh, my email is just lindaperman at hotmail.com. Okay, cool. So that's good to, for people to know, um, just if they wanted to reach out. Um, okay, great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Walsh and Alps podcast. I really enjoyed talking with you. Sure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it was great. So, um, and you've been listening to the Walsh and Alps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Visit my blog, walshynaps.com, where you can sign up for my email newsletter to get the best in sewing, blogging, and small business delivered right to your inbox each week. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Today's episode was sponsored by Amy Berrickbin, founder of Indigo Junction. AmyBerrickbin.com is your resource for vintage inspiration, including digital fabric and textile art and sewing and craft patterns and books. Amy inspires makers to explore their own creative spirit and experiment with the latest sewing and crafting techniques. Keep up with Amy as she shares her ideas and inspiration at amybarrickman.com and indigojunction.com. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.